Greetings, this is the Inspector, and you're listening to Sci-Fi Saturday Night, streaming into your human ear holes. Enjoy! Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. We will begin in mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. It is now time for us to put Earth under our rule. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you've been guilty of witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message to bring your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. From a very dark corner of sub-level 12 in Area 51, where it's spitting ice and, and sleep for no apparent reason. Happy New Year and stuff. Welcome to TalkCast 339, this week's edition of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Tonight, with lingering snark showers, I am the Dome. Joining the TalkCast, some of the cast tonight. Uh, others are, are notoriously missing. From the Act in Action Time Warp, our technical anarchist, it's our own button-pushing keyboard-clacking sonic screwdriver and girl genius, covered in packing excelsior because boxes are us. It's Kriana. Boxes are cool now. Boxes are cool now. Yeah, and and I'd like to point out that this will be our, our last show here. So. Yes. Uh, next week, I'm not sure where you will be recording from, yeah. but we'll figure that out when we get there. Really, you're not? No, I'm not. I'm sure you are. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> yes. <coughs> it's always good. From the stacks of a personal spank space. In the wow. Desert. Should we just stop now? No, ah. let's not. Befriends robots, invites aliens to lunch, has been known to have knitting circles at Stonehenge. It's Zombrarian feeling awfully fine today. How are you, dear? I'm sleepy. How can you be sleepy? Well, I suppose you could. I don't, I don't know. I had a lot of adrenaline this morning and now it's gone. And now it's all gone. I called 911 for like the first time ever in my life. You've never called 911 before? Not for a medical emergency. Okay. All right. I'll give you that. Ah. <sighs> Awake by Java TV's Opie may be joining us later on in the show, or, or may not. Uh, we never actually know one way or the other. But I'll tell you who is joining us tonight. Uh, writer, actor, uh, recovering newspaper journalist, Matthew Fillion joins us. Matthew, welcome to the mayhem. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I can tell it's going to be fun already. It's been an interesting day. Yeah, well, it might be. You never actually know. So Don't we? About, I don't know, five or six months ago, our, our booking monkey, the, the ever-popular booking monkey, sent me some stuff and uh, uh, for guests on the show. And one of them was Nathan Fillion. Nathan Fillion. Matthew Fillion. I wish. It's also on the show. But that was the whole other story. <coughs> he was going to be on the show time, once. They're like practically twins. Yeah. I know. And, and 
for one reason that or reminds another, me actually dome have you asked uh bookie monkey to get pj back i have how about we talk about this during cast meeting after the show well i mean just saying we could shout just out saying. to whatever shout out to nathan and pj what the hell well you know and PJ. for one reason or another it never happened and then a couple of weeks ago we were talking about you know who did we let fall by the wayside for lack of silliness or whatever okay, and okay long story short it almost didn't happen and then it did it almost <sighs> happened almost didn't happen twice but in in the meantime i had actually started reading one of his books and didn't know it i never actually put the two and two together until uh i started reading the first book the indestructibles this week and went wait a minute i've read one of these books um and the indestructibles for those of you who don't know but you should if you enjoy science fiction is what superheroes need to be instead of being the derivative superheroes we're seeing all the time in virtually everything so matthew let's talk a little bit about uh how the indestructibles came to be so i always i always call it it's my love letter to the comics that i read growing up because there's a lot of like sort of the 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 traditional kind of you know, thought processes in there for superheroes. But um, I, it came to be because I tried to, I tried to write romantic comedies in film for a while. And uh, after a while, I'm I said, sorry. You know, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I wrote and directed romantic comedies and I said, you know what? I should write something I, I actually would enjoy. And, um, or that any human being would enjoy. <laughs> and I had to give myself permission. Is it, you know, you want to write the superhero book, write the superhero book. And I can't draw. Well, I mean, it can, but not nobody would pay for it. So I, I sat down and decided to see what would happen if I wrote a superhero story in prose and figured it would bomb because who wants superheroes without pictures? And uh, Well, I mean, I guess you'd probably be surprised to know that a lot of artists can't write. You know, it, we, we, you got to know what you're good at, right? <laughs> it's, it's the, uh, well, it, you know, it's true. Here's a money-making thought. Would people pay you not to draw? <laughs> people pay me not to draw. <laughs> I don't know. See, I the funny thing is, with, with the, I actually drew this little human figure on the, the cover of the fourth book, and we just couldn't get something right. And I'm like, well, I'll just sketch out, you know, one of the heroes, Billy. I'll just, I'm going to do a little just a silhouette of Billy flying through the air. And um, so I can I can kind of say, well, you know, I was the cover artist on my own fourth book, even though. There you go. <laughs> wow, that sounds one, impressive. You know, it takes up like five percent of the cover that I actually drew. Everything else, the the actual real artist took care of. But um, they, it was this was I, I, I'd been sitting on all these characters for all these years because I grew up like everybody else, reading superheroes and and want, wanting to be one when I grew up. And uh, and I had all these characters in my head that I thought. What happens if I throw them all in the room together and see what happens? And it turns out they they got along as much as I needed to, and they didn't get along enough for there to be some drama. And uh, and then there they were, and it's been. But essentially, that's what that first book is. Let's throw them all together in a room and see what happens. Mm -hmm. And it, it's that was sort of the experiment I had. I'd been like anybody who writes, you know, characters for a living. You you. you you might have the character long before there's a story. And I knew I had my ballerina vigilante and I knew I had my uh, werewolf and my, you know, my 
uh, kid that's sharing a brain with an alien that gives him powers. And and I, you know, like, is this going to be, do they each have their own stories to tell? And I didn't, it, I, I, I come from a place of dialogue. I like to, I like writing people talking. That's my, my favorite thing in the world is writing people having a conversation potentially while flying through the air fighting aliens. But um, the, the idea of throwing them all in, in the same room and, and seeing how they interact. And, and, and that's actually been sort of the, the fun part of the series is people enjoy and talk to me more about how the characters get along than they do about the plot. <laughs> so it's much like Stargate in that regard. It's, I, I have I, recently introduced the wife here to Stargate, and I said, just ignore the crazy military bullshit. Ignore the weird hokey plots and focus on how they interact with each other. And it is the dialogue. It's, it's good writing. And it's good chemistry. And that's the, the long that carries the whole show. It carries the whole show. I mean, that's what we talk about when the shows that we fall in love with. I mean, you can, it, it, you, we, I'm sure we can all remember specific episodes of Firefly, but when you get along, it's how, it's them talking to each other that you you quote, right? It's you not, mean oh, every specific like, episode of Firefly? There really aren't that many, so <laughs> it's not that hard. All, all 12, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. doesn't take up that much brain space to memorize 13 Speaking episodes. Speaking of Nathan Fillion, I see what you did there. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I wish we spelled our names the same way could I, so I could claim he was my cousin. That would, I, <laughs> I think we're going to claim it anyway. It's not a bad thing. You know, we, when he stay, when his family stayed up in Canada, they kept the F. We migrated down to Massachusetts, and we changed it to a PH. And, you know, but really, we're, we're like practically brothers. You know, we, what I would Changed give. it to the PH. <laughs> Shame. What's funny is if sometimes when I, because, you know, when you make art of any kind you google yourself sometimes and sometimes we show and sometimes when you don't make art of any kind you just google yourself (laughs) google it you know uh, there are days where i'll type like the indestructibles matthew fillion and it says does it do you mean the indestructibles nathan fillion i'm like oh i wish (laughs) (laughs) hey google never say never Yeah, I can't. Or, or uh, if it's ever an animated series, he'd be, you know, like please let him be the, you know, the voice of dude, something that just I'd, somehow I got to get him involved. A little well, bit of solid. What if we see a, an ad for that he was in lately, Zombrarian? That we were like, oh holy shit, oh, he's gonna be like- in that, and we were like, now we have to watch it. Ah, oh, I know, it was that new thing on Netflix about the zombies. Yes! And you were like, oh, not another zombie show. And I was like, yay, a zombie show. No, no, I thought it looked kind of okay. And then all of a sudden, Nathan Fillion popped up on the trailer and we were like, well. Well, there we go. Yep. Now you have to. Now we have to watch it. It's not out yet. So we have a bit of a wait. It does, though, right? It's the, oh, not another police procedural. It's got Nathan Fillion in. Okay, I'm in. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Totally the way it happens. Not another horror film. Wait, Doug Jones is in it? There. Yep. <laughs> well, I don't think so, we'd ever be as as broad as not another horror film. That's, that's a little... Well, how, how about much. Hellboy 3? I'll take it. <laughs> I would like that to be a thing, please. Yeah, well, they're actually talking about it. Finally. Well, Yay, yeah, too. but they talk about lots of things. It doesn't mean it's going to happen. But I like. I will wait to get my meager hopes up. <laughs> so, the thing that I really, really like about the series, having only read the first two books, 
and only partially read the first book, uh, is that from the moment you meet the characters, they're almost fully formed. You, you spend a, a good amount of time introducing in, in the first book, uh, fleshing out each character without droning about it. It's, it's very well put together. It's very fast-paced. And by the time they are all together in their little fortress of, of basement, uh, <laughs> they, they, you know them. And then they just grow from that point. It's, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful way to, to uh, bring them up. Was there a question there? Probably not. You're really good oh. at questions. Notice that. And I'm really bad at sarcasm. Um, well, the funny thing is with all those intros, some of them I've been sitting on for years. I, I, everybody asks how long it takes you to write the book. And I'm like, well, it took me three months when I sat down, but I've been sitting on those opening sequences for 10 years. Like I'd known them for so, for so long that those thumbnails towards the beginning were something that had long preceded the actual plot of the book. Um, which is funny because I'm, I'm writing a spinoff now and it's, it's not the same. Like, I don't know the characters as well. I'm like, they feel like strangers to me after writing these kids for four you know i get the notes for the fifth one now and it's sort of like how do i, st I, I it's like being in a new relationship i don't know i don't know i don't know where to sit i don't know where to look um because they've been in my head for so long so the wait a minute wait a minute let's let's analyze that for a minute being in a new relationship you don't know where to sit <laughs> I, i'm gonna go with not the floor i mean what? Like, don't make eye contact. Yeah. Don't move too quickly. You know, <laughs> no sudden <sign. laughs> Don't so startle they... them. They'll run away. Like a gazelle, <laughs> apparently. Don't startle them. Don't walk, don't, don't walk up behind them when they don't know you're there. You know, just the basics. So there are four books in the original Indestructible series. Mm -hmm. and, and a fifth one in the works. I, 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 there's rumor of. Yeah, uh, one of the goals I always I always promised myself and the readers that I wouldn't Game of Thrones anybody and you know well, make them wait well okay so by that you mean not be a terrible writer I guess so <laughs> or make you wait ten years for a sequel but um, that's okay because it's just delaying the pain right, of a terrible you know, you book know, instead of you know ant antagonizing you with more unreasonable horrible writing yeah exactly. <laughs> Um, but I, so I, each one, I, and I also being an, you know, I was a first time author like, well, I don't know if they're going to let me do another one. <laughs> so, so well, see, that's sure. the beauty of the space that we live in right now. No one has to let you do anything. Yeah. It's you not up to them to anymore. Yeah. Ha! Well, that's the, the interesting thing too, cause I'm, I work with a publisher, but the option is there, you know, it, I, I, I put out. Um, micro stories. I, I call them one shots because that's what you call a comic book. That's a single, you know, um, a single issue story. Sure, and, I've heard uh, that before. And I pop, I, I popped out, you know, a couple of them a year, just um, just to keep in touch with the readers. You know, I'll do a solo story about the dancer or about the werewolf or whatever. And, and um, I do. A, I've done a couple of holiday stories because you did a Krampus story this year, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I wrote um, Entropy Emily versus the Krampus, basically, um, <laughs> which I'd wanted to do forever because Emily is uh, is the the pop culture voice in the series, where she 
I figured what writing writing a superhero book, you got to kind of you got to kind of acknowledge that we all come from the same uh, pop culture background. Like we all, they've seen Star Wars. If she's if she sees a trap, she's gonna call it. And um, so naturally, some something like Krampus that has such a huge cultural following is something that she would both be enthralled with having to go to, to go up against and and also terrified. So I I, I wrote one sort of you know. Um, traditional like you know uh, all about friendship christmas story a couple years back and then this past winter i did uh, a horror comedy about them taking on krampus um and just acknowledging that if he's going to steal kids they're not actually going to be good kids that he steals so uh that's part of the part of the plot there it's you know you're rescuing kind of not the cream of the crop for the local local kindergarten crew um <laughs> makes you think do i really want to be doing this yeah, you know, well, it, you figure success is... is uh, or am I rescuing them now just to have to go apprehend them later? That's part of the problem. So, so exactly <laughs> for 10 years, my friend. Um, but the funny thing is I can put I put those out uh, separate from the publisher because I want to be able to just... I want that level of interaction with the readers and I want that kind of... If I want to put out a... I wanted to put out a Halloween story, so I set myself a deadline and I, I, I published it um, on Kindle. Um and that also gives me the chance to give it away to, you know, if readers are following the websites and stuff, I'm able to make it free for them for a couple of days here and there so that they can grab a copy without, you know, just like a thank you for putting up with my craziness for all for four books now. Gosh, and, people uh, must hate feeling appreciated. <laughs> Especially by a writer who's so unapproachable. You know? I know. Well, Speaking of unapproachable. Yeah. Speaking of I know. No, but, mm-hmm. Sorry, I went to Doug you, Jones' you place. Want- Exactly. You you went there and you're going to be there for a while, aren't it's you? It's okay. I'm I happy know. here. I know. It's my happy place. <laughs> <laughs> you do a lot of conventions locally. Uh, do you do any national conventions as well? Um, every year, my my sort of it's like the concentric circles. I go a little bit further. I'm trying to get. Uh, <laughs> so the thing is, you wander you, farther from your home. Exactly, and and the funny thing is, it's you know, as a, I'm not a big name author, so the books are heavy. So it's sort of how far can I get the books before it becomes in in uh, you know un, unmanageable. So, um, uh, but the, I love the conventions because it feels like going home. I said, I said, I said, it's like I call it, I, it's a combination of either being. At Fenway Park, minus the booze, like during a really <laughs> exciting game, like or um, joining the circus a little bit too. So I, 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 I do as many conventions as I can locally. I, I, I like them because I can, you know, uh, pop out for a weekend and just meet with people that have read the series. This is the first year that people have shown up in cosplay as my characters, which is oh, that's so sweet. By the way, that is that is. That is one of those moments. Like now, I've officially made it. People, somebody showed up, and I had um, two kids showed uh, dressed up as the same character. Didn't know each other. Um, both showed up as Doc Silence at Boston Comic Con this year. Aww, because they were spot on too. <laughs> like they were not messing nice. around. Nice cosplayers yeah. do not mess around. So, Can confirm. No, cosplayers are some of the best people around mm-hmm. because they're and the scariest. Well, they, that can be too. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I'm not saying it's not good scary. Well, depends who you are, I suppose. Depends on who you are, absolutely. It's it funny that one of one of the readers, I met her dressed as Harley Quinn, and she told us um, that she was getting a, a new tattoo, and, and she'll see us at a convention later on. She'll show it to us, like, okay. And 
maybe two or three conventions later, a girl I don't recognize runs up and shows us her leg, like, look, I got it. And I'm like, I need some context. (laughs) (laughs) Good for you. What do you want to bet we know her? (laughs) Yeah, chances are really good. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, you do have a leg. That's wonderful. Good job. Yeah, but but the but the thing I love about cosplay is like yeah, a group of my friends are next year. We're gonna do all we're gonna do your whole team of characters. We're gonna all come together and we're gonna go to um you know one of the Connecticut shows. I'm like that's awesome, and now I won't forget your name because now I've seen you not as a character. Um, <laughs> which was but it was really it was surreal because I'm like I don't know I and it's that panic moment because if it's somebody who knows you clearly they probably read the books you wanna make a good impression but I'm like I don't know who it is because she's not in character I don't know who I'm talking to. Um, but now we're on first name basis. We're cool. She's a oh, she's awesome. So what what conventions are you planning to hit this year? Uh, so far, I'm only locked in for Boston and for Trificon down in at Mohegan Sun, in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, by the way, doing that, a con- that's a thing. Yeah, a con at a at a casino is a uh, hoot. Dangerous. And that sounds like. Uh... But what's what I love is. You'll see people, because the, the, when the cosplayers collide with the lifelong gamblers, and there's people that have been at that slot machine for like 12, 18 hours straight, and Groot walks by. And they don't know if Groot's real or not. Like, there's wait, a moment. wait, wait, wait. People sit at slot machines for 12 hours? Oh, good God, yes. Yeah. <laughs> what? Why? You're... Because that's what Okay, never mind. I no, <laughs> not going to understand. Really... Not even going to try. I write superheroes for a living. I'm not judging anybody. Well, <laughs> I I get why you would do that, though. Well, I, I always joke around. Like, I, I go to these, I go to the conventions at the casinos, and I, I'm the I'm the anti gambler. I turn into Woody Allen. I start throwing my hands up in the air and having like like oh my, the twenty dollars is gone. I don't know where it went. I had twenty dollars. Now it's gone. I don't know what happened. Like I'd rather <laughs> I bought like two trade paperbacks for that. What just happened to my money? So I'm safe. I'm a, I'm a safe. I'm a cheap date at a at a casino, um, but it really I love watching people try to figure out is this is it like is it a thing? Is this just somebody who's decided to dress up as Wonder Woman and walk around for the day? I don't know. And I'm like it's it's a Comic Con. Just roll with it. It's okay. <laughs> oh, so it's like Japan. In a lot of respects, yeah. Because yeah. people did just randomly dress up. They were just they just did that. That was a thing. It was okay. You walk, you walk down the street, and there's a group of guys dressed up like they're in the fifties, and they're just there. You know, I've doing seen their that. thing. Yeah, it's okay. That's fine. Costuming things are funny. I, I was a couple. My cover artist um, and another friend of mine went as. I knew they were doing it, but I forgot, and they went as Mario and Luigi mashed up with Thor and Loki. There were Mar- there were Thorio and Luigi, and I knew they were coming. But then I heard like the high pitched Super Mario voice is like, "It's a me," and I hear these two guys and they're being loud and they're screeching and they're doing this noise. I'm like, "Who brought these two jerks to this show? They're- they don't want to see you." <laughs> and I look, those are my jerks. They're- those are my yeah. those are the boys. That's. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, then you yeah, beat yeah. them appropriately. I assume. <laughs> I apologize to the vendors next to me. Like that's. That's my fault. Sorry, guys. There's, I'll try. To, I'll try to tell them to tone it down a little bit when they're in the area. And they silently judged you, and you know. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I know, there's, a, there's a lot of there's a lot of solidarity behind the tables because we see a lot of stuff. 
<laughs> Wait, this, this, some of the stuff you see, because you, you're a captive audience. And you cannot unsee it. Oh, yeah. Wardrobe. Also, many, the many fact times. that you're at, like, midsection level when you're sitting at your table is often really awkward. So, well, you are because you're short. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know Um, how many people I thought? I wonder if I should tell them that their belly's hanging out of the bottom of their shirt. And the answer (laughs) is no, you should not, under any circumstances. Because either it's intentional or it's really not intentional. And either way it goes, you really shouldn't. Well, we had a guy walking, and I, I tend to stand up at the table to make eye contact, and my girlfriend will hang out, or I'll bring, there's always somebody with me, in this particular case, my girlfriend's hanging out, and she's, she's sitting, and there's a guy dressed as Duff Man, walking around from The Simpsons, and he's looking a little rough around the edges, like that suit's been worn a few times, <laughs> and I look down, and her jaw is wide open, and I look across the aisle, and one of the vendors across from us, and she's, her jaw is wide open, and so I follow where they're looking. No, no. No, no, no. Yeah, he's kind of pointing to people. No, thank you. (laughs) I think I've seen that Duff man. Probably. Like, was he unaware? Was he an exhibitionist? Or was he wearing a falsy and he was messing with us? I couldn't tell. Like, it could have been any of the three. And in any of those cases, the best thing to do is just not to say anything. Don't just avert your eyes. Looks, there's plenty else to look at. Lord knows. <laughs> it's like, <clears throat> and then all you can and you can tell who was in theater in high school because mm-hmm. they all know about dance belts and they all <laughs> utilize them. And you're like, hello, I appreciate you. Thank you for the forethought. Well, the thing. Yeah, and, and it becomes part of the whole experience. Like, st- one day... But not a Steph- good part. <laughs> oh, it's funny. Well, Steph- <laughs> well, I'm going to go with not a great part, in my opinion. No, it's my least that. favorite part. Oh, I mean, Steph says to me one day, she goes, there's nothing worse than a Spider-Man with a flat ass. It's so well, strange. I would argue with that. Deadpool but- with the flat ass is also really, really disappointing. But that then led to, I mean, I, she said this to me maybe 18 months ago, and I haven't done a show that ha- I haven't accidentally caught myself checking out to, you know, like, yo, oh, that guy should really pad his Spider-Man costume in the back. It's a little flat, like a little flat. Like, why is this part of my experience now? Every time I see a Spider-Man, I'm like, does he fill out the back? Somebody needs to do some squats. <laughs> you know what? Some people are just, you know, challenged with their... Oh. Padding. <laughs> There's just no way to say that. That's not going to sound really bad. I'm going to stop trying. Yeah, uh, okay. Some people just don't got that junk in that trunk. That's right. It, it, it's a genetic thing, you know. You know if, you're not, if you're inclined to the, you know, the two by four bottom, it's just you know, it's a lot it of work. Success. You probably have other good features. You probably got a great personality. <laughs> well, oh, snap. character really, really well. Well, we had um, we so I know if, if this. Is, I, I'm friends with. I, I guess the best way to describe him is the most photogenic Captain America cosplayer in the East Coast. Like, if you just type up like "hot Captain America cosplayer," my friend pops up. Pat and um, <laughs> and one day, yeah, it's, it's 
it's it's it, he, he knows it's a problem like he's he he, he runs into like you know he's like beatles type stuff but um one day he's walking by and right before he walked by a deadpool had thrown a stuffed killer whale at me and hit me in the crotch no that was and, and i look okay. over it's deadpool and you just kind of roll with it with deadpool right it's like it's always a guy it's always so i'm like you want your whale back and he says no you keep that and i'm like i don't really want it but fine and then cap walks by he goes, what's with the killer whale? I said, a Deadpool throw it at me. He goes, it's always Deadpool. <laughs> Anytime something, ha- like somebody jumps up and helps me from behind, it's always a Deadpool. Every show, some kid, <laughs> because of that mask. Well, but, Shadanda's Deadpool, we all know, is is always a problem. But, but I'm actually, my, my next, is when I'm done with the next book, I w- I'm, I've got a plan going. I want to do a documentary called Becoming Deadpool. And just interview cosplayers about why. I'd like to do the same for Harley Quinn too. Actually, I like. I want to do like completely respectful too. Like, what about this character sucked you in that you go dress as him at to every show? Like, is, is it a is it fun? Is it a psychi- psychological thing? Is it a you know is it a nostalgia thing? Like, and I want to find out what their attachment is and like just interview like fifty Deadpool cosplayers and, and do, was like, it an easy costume to make? That too. That's Harley. A little bit of a little bit of hair dye and makeup, and you're you, um, very well, low you're commitment level yeah. to do Harley. Yeah. Although the best marketing campaign for the for um, that movie was making that making the new Harley so like closet cosplayable. It was like, yeah, that was absolutely. just a brilliant move to for promotional purposes. So Matt, what else is going on for you right now? Right now, I am um, cranking out a spinoff of The Indestructibles, because every superhero world has an Atlantis, right? Um, That's true. Even Stargate had Atlantis. Yeah. And so, and I've had this sort of, it would be taking place concurrently with the first book. Like, this is going on as The Indestructibles are getting pulled together elsewhere in the world, and it's um, about a... the uh, uh, an uh, uh, orphaned child of Atlantis finding out about her her place in the world and in this particular in the Indestructiverse, which I didn't coin. One of my readers made that up, and I stole it. Uh, in the Indestructiverse, nice. you don't have to admit that. <laughs> uh, Atlantis is um, fight. Uh, it's a infighting between isolationists and warmongers, and then there's our lead here, our lead character Echo, who's going to come in between, come in there and try to stop them from either disappearing from the world or blowing us up with uh, on the surface um and once that's once that's uh in with the editor i'm going to dive into book four which completes the or book f- five of the indestructibles main series which um we in the in the uh, ongoing series of <laughs> it escalates quickly um we've done time travel we've done uh, space adventure and next up is a magic based disaster uh, that they've got to face down so which is the worst thing to have happen when you're working on one book is to be like, you know what I can't wait to do is write the one that comes after this. Because then focus becomes an issue. But Gives you some nice up. motivation, though. Yeah, it's it, it definitely, you know, because there's no... I'm, I'm not I'm not spending much time on the Xbox at night. It's like, we gotta get we got to get the Echo in the Sea finished, and then we'll we'll jump into book five. Um, yeah, but the interesting thing that, that I keep hearing you talk about is the reality of these characters... To you, 
And you've they're built them to people. such a point that they're real people who, and, and, and you, you have that sense of familiarity with them that makes, uh, you're saying book five is the end of the series, and I'm betting it's not. Oh, it's, it's, not, it's funny because I thought book four was the end of the series. <laughs> and I got there we there go. Like, nope. And then I really, I honestly thought, well, when I started writing, I knew, I knew I had those four stories to tell. But I wrote book four and I gave myself an in, you know, like it doesn't end on a cliffhanger, but there's room to keep going. And two weeks later, I'm sitting at a Comic-Con and a costumed character walks by. And I'm like, you know, it'd be really cool is if the Indestructibles had to do, oh no, <laughs> there's book five. Um... Well, and they're just there's so much fun to write. I mean, my world is better when I'm working on one of these stories because I, I um, because they're they're real people to me. It's funny. I had somebody ask me because the most popular character is the hyperactive fifteen year old, and um, <laughs> someone asked me what it was like to be a grown man whose most popular character was a hyperactive fifteen year old, and I said, you know, it's funny. Up until now, I would have said she was basically me on a pot of coffee. And now I feel awkward. <laughs> it, it's kind of an awkward position to be put in. So, yeah, you look, know. when do you structure your writing? I mean, and by that I mean the process. Do you get up in the morning, have a cup of coffee, and go, okay, five pages, ten pages, here we go? I have, um, I write at <clears> night. I usually, I usually don't sit down to write until after dinner, and then, but I write straight on until I'm done. Like I will sit down at six, seven, eight o'clock at night and write till two, three, four o'clock in the morning. And I have a rule that I have to write something every day, or I don't get to do anything else. So, um, if I'm if I can't get at least five hundred words out or something like that, but the the funny thing is with these characters, you know, I'll just you know I just bang out like half a chapter, and then I'll go watch the Flash. And and then four hours later, I'm three thousand words in for the night. I write at a really escalated pace too because I tend to, I don't sit down writing until I know. I don't. I, I'm not. I'm not a really super structured writer, but I know exactly where the arc is going. So it's really just a matter. It's almost like I have to transcribe rather than create. By the time I sit down to write, um, do you get those surprises during the arc when you go, "Oh, I didn't know we were going to do this." Oh, all the time. Yeah, that's you got to leave yourself room for when your characters do things that you don't expect. There's one. Uh, it's it's sometimes it's a big plot point. Other times it's things like I don't know how to I don't know how to do. That. I have a new rule now. When in doubt, throw a werewolf out a window. <laughs> Does he, and it works, right? It worked. I didn't know how to resolve a certain fight scene, so I had Titus get chucked out a window. And that a is funny because the relationship. Wait, I recall that happened in book one. Did it happen? It, you know, he gets thrown out of windows quite often. He um, does, because it also happened in book two. Yeah. And he, res and he resents it because nobody ever helps him. Because there's this assumption, he's a werewolf, he'll heal. He'll hit the ground, and then he'll heal, and he'll come back. And he's like, you realize it hurts when I hit the ground, right? This is not like, I'm not impervious. Just because I, you know, only silver will kill me. It doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt when I fall six stories to the, to, to the pavement below. And um, But that's sort of my go-to. Like, I don't know how... What can I do to fix this? Okay, and Titus gets thrown out a window, um, which has worked at least three times in the series. <laughs> I mean, that'll be on my tombstone. When in doubt, throw the werewolf out the window. Um, 
there's actually in book four, it doesn't give any plots away, but it plot away, but it definitely, that's actually a chapter title. Uh, <laughs> because I had to just acknowledge that this is a thing that, that happens in the series. Um, but yeah, I, it's fun. Every writer does it a little bit differently for me. It's, I, it's, it's a discipline thing, but I definitely don't have the discipline to get up, have a cup of coffee and write in the morning. I need to, I need to process the world uh, for a while before I sit down and start telling stories. Have you considered at some point moving on from the Indestructibles and, and, and moving into another one-shot, uh, uh, completely disassociated from them? I actually have. It's the um, – and this is what happens when, when – you've got to be careful with your sarcasm. <laughs> so well yeah. yeah well because then you get yourself into trouble because i was um i saw the ad for a dog's purpose oh lord and it yeah. went man that's manipulative look at the, i mean every dog owner i'm a dog guy like i don't even want to watch this movie and it's making me choked up and blah blah and i'm like you know what i could you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna write a dog in the zombie apocalypse book and it's going to be from the dog's perspective, and it's going to be him going across, and there's going to be kids, and there's going to be, and I'm going to make people cry. And I was being sarcastic. I wasn't serious. But after ranting for about 10 minutes, I said, and now I have a plot, and I have to write the stupid thing. Um, so, and it would be nothing like the the Indestructible series. It would be, I would call it closer to, like, lit versus um, pop-style uh, writing. But I was completely just... I was just annoyed at the, you know, like the, this concept of, you know, cause everybody, you put a dog in a movie, you got an audience, right? Like that's people in dogs. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I was just being, and then by the end I'm like, and I'm going to cast my own dog as this character. Cause that would be, instead of doing the stereotypic, it's not be a German shepherd. It's going to be a, a, you know, like a little like mutt. And, uh, and by the end I'm like, well now I really want to tell the story. And I think I'd enjoy telling this story. <laughs> Um, you painted it, yourself into a corner and liked the way it looked. Yeah, that was look, look at the floor looks fantastic. I can't go anywhere from here, but I'm painting <laughs> into it. Um, so I mean, so I guess technically I've got three, three and a half projects that I have to get done. I got the um, Instructables, I got Atlantis, I've got this book project, and I've got a. Um, I'm doing. A, I want to do a novella where the Instructables get stuck in a game of Dungeons and Dragons and can't get back out again. But. Um, that's a totally other thing, but I, I, I never oh, thought... Oh, the could... old board game becomes virtual reality, real-life yep. trope. It's a good one. Exactly. But that would be... It's a novella. It can't support an entire book, but that would be one of those one-shots... It barely really... supports an entire TV show an hour long. Yeah. Episode, like... <laughs> I mean, Star Trek has done it how many times, right? Not that I it's a bad trope. At least, it's a fun trope, yeah, or they wouldn't keep doing it. every iteration of Star Trek, yep. yeah. Although in every the benefit of having a character like Emily in my series who acknowledges when a trope is happening, yeah, you have to break the fourth just, wall. You just have to she, just oh, breaks, chop she, it she down the without breaking the fourth wall. Um, and that was part of it too, because all of these things in you know like superheroes are myth, pop stories. Do we tend to tell this? You know, what's there's an old saying: we've only ever written seven stories, and we just keep telling the same seven stories over and over again. And like I just got to acknowledge, you know, like where these guys came from. They came from you know, the golden and silver age comic book characters. They come from, those guys came from pulp novels before that. And Emily's my, my little encyclopedia, um, uh, in, in the story to just kind of acknowledge. And she's, I mean, she walks around with a doctor who, uh, a fourth doctor scarf on, 
just as like a look guys this is setting the tone <laughs> like one of the characters just walks around at one point she swaps it out for a, a jane cobb hat just because um and it's just a way of saying you know we all we all know these stories and these tropes and it's we and we love them even if they they keep coming back around a little a little more often than we're than we might like sometimes can i ask you a question about doc silence yes we're here Here's where I think he came from. The 1950s version of Nick Fury. Kind of grizzled, maybe an eye patch, chomping a cigar, but very soft-spoken. And I can't get that image out of my face for him. The look that he has, uh, minus the eye patch, the way he carries himself is very much that the the game player Nick Fury, you know the trench coat, right. like not the blue and white, right, actor. right, right. Um, but his inspiration was us. Uh, I loved the old trippy, um, uh, Doctor Strange books growing up, and I loved the nasty, gritty Hell Hellblazer stories. Oh yeah, and. In this, this is not a world. Did someone bring fun. Constantine into this conversation? Because yay. Yeah, he's 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 a kinder, gentler Constantine. Like oh I'm, no, thank you. I'm I'm 39 and I still want to be John Constantine when I grow up. Like it's sort of probably not the best role model. Um, no, he's an to- awesome role model. Did you know? I just saw this today. There was an article saying that a study found people who enjoy dark humor are more intelligent. Yes. So there also, we go. Just saying. People who swear. And people who drink. I don't know. Fuck um, yeah. <laughs> but, but that's, um, but Doc was, was sort of, he was, a, he was a combination of all of these sort of mystical heroes that I, I loved ranging from like, you know, the, what drugs were you on when you wrote that story stuff from the seventies to the, you know, the Thatcher era griminess. There's, um, and I, he's someday. I'm going to write his origin book because yeah, I, I that know, would be cool. And I want to tell that story um, because you, there's a whole backstory that we keep hinting at, and we just see glimpses of. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, in the first book, there's a point where the kids ask him about his former team, and they're. Uh, one of the kids has to be the safety valve who knows everybody's weak points so that she can take care of them in case they go off. And she says to him something like, is that what happened to your team? And he just looks at her and goes, no, they just gave up. And that was like just a heart wrenching moment for me. And I want that story. That's it's funny. Cause I get, a, I get some grief about being a little bit of a too cynical for, Oh no, hell no. But I feel like there. Wait, what? I don't understand that sentence. (laughs) But the the like Doc's team for me is sort of us, where the world has beaten you down so much, you save a world that doesn't be saved. And I tell you, I work on these books, and sometimes it's the only thing that helps me keep my head on straight. Sometimes because at least my my kids here, you know, the the Jane and Billy and the rest, they haven't given up yet. They want to leave the world better than they found it. And my vision for Doc's team, and, and as the series progresses, you meet some of them, the, the survivors of that team. 
and they got beaten down the way that anybody. I mean, we, we all know we all know uh, that bitter former idealist, right? Like, like somebody that just really wanted to make the world a better place and got knocked down that one time too many. Yeah, and. Doc is sort of like the last guy standing because he's the only one who hasn't quite given up. But there's there's a whole lot of heroes who just realize sometimes the world didn't want doesn't want to be saved. Um, and that was a really I'm glad you brought that up. That was one of my the things that I thought was the most important part of that because not not all heroes die. Sometimes they just run out. Nice. And and that that just that one comment I just kind of went, yeah. Got it. Understood. Mm-hmm. And that's Doc is. I feel like Doc speaks to the adults who read the book because he's been there, you know. Like, and and we're. You don't. I don't think. You, I don't think you read superhero books and not want to save the world a little bit. I think that's kind of right there, you know. Like that's why. Or destroy the world. Yeah, that too. One <laughs> or the other. <laughs> well, and I, I actually. It was funny because I people I, I I come from film and a lot of guys will a lot of my old filmmaker buddies. When is the superhero thing going to end? When are we going to stop seeing all these superhero films? And I'm like, okay, a selfishly, I hope never because that helps in book sales. <laughs> but um, but b, I think it's because we're we're looking for hope and escapism and and in the same place. And what's what better than you know the solar powered girl who just wants to leave the world better than she found it or um. The, my little ballerina vigilante who doesn't know how to stay down, even though the world keeps knocking, knocking the hell out of her, and um, and I think that's why we're why this genre is so popular right now. And I think the dar- the darker it gets, the more we need them, <laughs> you know. Um, and if you want to read a, a a really terrific series of books, you sometimes miscast as young adult series because regular adults kind of like them too. It the series is the indestructibles the author we've been talking to him for oh god it's been over an hour hasn't it <laughs> matthew fillion matthew normally we'd be doing nathan's uh, cousin nathan's cousin <laughs> say hello to him for me next time you see him yep we absolutely will you know normally we, we would have cut you off halfway through and, and then done news but you know it's more fun talking to you tonight man thanks for coming by thanks for having me this oh i should probably do the thing now huh it's kind of about I got that dis- time. I get distracted by Constantine. Shush. Mm-hmm. Coming up in the next couple of weeks on Sci-Fi Saturday Night on February 11th, Jeremy Whitley comes on to talk about his new comic for Marvel, The Unstoppable Wasp. And sometime in April, Vivek Tiwari joins us back again for the hat trick I didn't know that he played hockey have to talk to Booking Monkey about this again, aren't we? Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Boston Comic-Con, Granite Con, Northeast Comic-Con. Say hello to our friends at Super Mega Fest, and hi to our friends at BooksandBooze.com. Don't forget to visit Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. And if you have a free moment, Take a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, My Peculiar Family, on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. Our intro music production was provided by Rob Watts. Find out his creations at RobWattsOnline.com. And our outro music was provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. Check out more of their grooves at LawrenceMadeMeCry.com. 
I want to thank uh, Matthew Tilling for joining us tonight. It was more fun than a barrel of elephants. Thank you so much, sir. Thanks for having me. I had a lot of fun. Want to thank the gang for joining us tonight from the Act in Action Time Warp for the very last time, the sweetheart of the soundboard, Brianna, and our wonderful Zombarian. Thank you so much, ladies. Yeah, yeah. Another week. Yeah. Another show. This is Dome saying Terry and Jeannie, shared pen is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Good night, everybody. I know. <laughs>